What's going on, everybody? You got Evan Knowles here and Logan Jones with the Middle Tech Podcast. We are making a very concerted effort this year to get more into Louisville. So we've done a great job in Lexington, really established ourselves as the go-to source for these kind of interviews. In Lexington, we're really making sure we're going to do the same in Louisville. So we've got an amazing guest on this week, Andy Estes. So he is just a born entrepreneur, been just starting companies, selling things online his entire life. And now he's growing a very successful software company in Louisville called Scuvault. It's a warehouse management uh, company. So they're building SaaS technology so warehouses can do a better job keeping track of inventory and making sure that their end customers are getting their stuff on time and in good quality. So we're going to walk through with Andy, his experience with building this company, especially when it comes to building a team and raising money. And the biggest learning I hope you guys take away from this and what Andy really wanted to talk about was being patient when it comes to raising money, doing it at the right time and on the right terms. Uh, And that's really important when you're building a startup. Uh, As we talk about when you raise capital, that adds a lot of pressure uh, onto the business. And if you're not ready for it, it could could be ending, ending your company. So really looking forward to this episode. Uh, again, we, we do this, and I always want to make sure that people understand our mission. We do this to spread the stories of these amazing entrepreneurs so that you, the listener, can take away from these and apply them to your own startups, or maybe it inspires you to start your startup or tell a friend to start theirs. Uh, I think the space needs a lot more people doing what we're doing, which is creating digital media to really encourage entrepreneurship and growth in the technology space in Kentucky. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. This is going to be an awesome episode. What's going on, guys? We are here with Andy Estes with Scuvault. Thanks for joining, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's jump into your background. Where are you from? Where, uh, what'd you do growing up? Talk about yeah. where your origins are. Raised right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, my partner and co-founder Slav Ivanyuk was born in the Ukraine. Moved here when he was 15, I believe. Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was raised here in Louisville, Kentucky. Family in Owensboro. Um and I stayed here for college, went to UofL, uh, Speed School of Engineering. Uh, actually dropped out senior year. The business was taking off. Couldn't do both all the way. Uh, Slava did That's graduate, cool. actually. Awesome. <laughs> uh, he went for computer sciences a few years before I did. Um, but I did learn a lot there, so I do. Yeah. Well, you got to drop out here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I hear you there. Yeah. Uh, so my family did not like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was a unique, unique scenario, right? Uh, you know, it's, I was I was dropping out into an opportunity, so my family was a little bit more uh, receptive of it. Yeah, they're definitely, you know, there's definitely some pushback. Of oh course, yeah, right. Um, so, what what kind of engineering did you study? Uh, industrial engineering. Okay. So it fit well with my interests and what I ended up doing as well. You know, that gets into the logistics and. Uh, you know efficiencies so i love efficiency and yeah. uh, getting rid of useless processes how did you and, figure that out early to you know know that you wanted to do industrial engineering were you doing internships well, i actually you... didn't um, okay. when i first went to the speed school uh you know i thought i was good at math till i went to engineering school um <laughs> but the they had an intro class where they 
taught you about all the different kinds, most of which I knew. Industrial engineering was one of the smallest um, as far as students mm-hmm. at the time at that school. And uh, I just never heard of it. But as soon as they'd said, oh, it's all about statistics and efficiency, uh, that was what got me excited. Yeah, so okay. The real world application side of it, I yeah. feel like uh, a little yeah. bit more. And you had a couple jobs previous to school alt, right? Mm-hmm. So talk about those and, you know, some consistencies that you saw between the two. Yeah. So, you know, through, I actually started selling stuff on eBay in middle school. Um, a friend of mine and myself, we would just go to our friends, parents, attics, basements, garages, say, hey, let us sell this stuff. We'll keep 30%. Sort of the, we sell your stuff on eBay store model with no store. Um, over the years, that was hard to find enough inventory. So we ended up by high school doing uh, yard sales, estate sales, police auctions. Wow. Uh, one time we got 30 Hustling computers, un- sight unseen from a police auction. <laughs> we went to pick them up, all covered in blood. There had been a raid. Oh, oh my gosh. But we cleaned them up and sold them. Um, <laughs> Did you, you put know. that in the description? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> it might have sold for a higher price. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so even that was hard to find enough inventory. Uh, and that morphed into my friend found his grandma lived in Cleveland, Ohio, and he found found a Champs outlet store that we figured out you could we could drive up, fill up a few cars full of shoes, drive them back, sell them on eBay, uh, and that really started ramping that business up pretty quickly. Um, so we ended up you know figuring out with the managers, pay them a little under the table. We don't have to drive all around the country to these Champs outlet stores. At that point, we started making vendor relationships and actually, you know, having accounts with vendors and getting shoes and apparel that way. And that's when I like to say we became a real business, sort of. Um, at the end of high school, I got out of that, went to college. My friend kept going with that business. Uh, my first internship, I also had, like, lawn care companies and things like that. And I think I learned a lot about efficiency there. Like, at one point, I had all these small yards all around town, and it was a mess, not making much money figured out, oh, churches, you can get all the churches in an area. They're big yards, they're quick to mow, you can make a lot more money per hour spent and less time traveling, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that, that e-commerce company grew while I was in college. I did my internship, for the speed school you do an internship, at a copper bar fabrication plant in Eminence, Kentucky. It's like 20 miles north of Shelbyville, one, three restaurant town maybe. Um, but this was my first experience into a larger company that did not, that had a large expensive ERP where they paid millions of dollars every couple of years for updates, but they didn't really use the software to run the business. Um, they used it for the asset manager, used it to depreciate computers, et cetera, machines, and then the sales team used it to input orders. But all the day-to-day operations, they were paying for these modules, they weren't using them, were built with a pretty impressive uh, stack of access databases for what they were. Um, 13 access databases were running that place, doing machine scheduling, costing, all these complex things. Um, but they still were getting 87% of their orders out late. And this is a large wow. company, That's... you know, big customers. Yeah. Um, and it was because they didn't have their inventory. They didn't know what they had, so they couldn't order properly. Um, you know, Metal has a six-week-plus lead time. So if you're realizing a few days before, it's a five-day job with the machines... You know, you got you're gonna be weeks and weeks late. Yeah. Um, so I built their 14th access database, uh, which was just a simple inventory system, and then on top of that, a module that did the forecasting and purchasing. Uh, they still use that 
however many years later this is, eight or ten years. Um, but yeah, so that was a great experience. After that, my friend that was still growing this e-commerce company impressively uh, called me back and he said, hey, look, we're doing about $10 million in sales a year now, and you know, 70% of our volume is on Amazon, which a lot of marketplace sellers, if they're not their own brand, have their website really pump in. Uh, that's pretty common for the marketplace seller. Uh, they were having 4 to 5% out of stocks. Amazon will kick you off if you don't keep your out-of-stocks under control. And if that's 70% of your business, it essentially means you're shutting your doors. So he was at this point where he knew he was on that ledge and he had to fix this issue. And he said, hey, I know you just built an inventory system. I'm just looking to buy one. We've tried to build one. We've tried to buy one. Neither worked. Can you help me find one and implement it? I spent about three months looking. Um, at this point in college, I was doing... WordPress websites for people and any odd jobs I could get, just small development jobs. Um, And so I said, sure, I'll help you find an inventory system. Looked around for three months, did not find anything on the market that met uh, the needs that he had. So we convinced him to pay us to build one. Uh, He begrudgingly accepted that. Um, That took over a year to build the prototype. It was built in Access front end, SQL back end. I am not a programmer. I learned that at the um, <laughs> copper fabrication plant I've mentioned. Uh, so, but yeah, we built that. I partnered with Slav. Uh, we had to integrate it with a shipping software, e-commerce shipping software called Shipworks, and a channel management software for e-commerce called Channel Advisor. Uh, so we integrated it to those two systems. That was all with .NET, way past my skill level. Um, and we did get it up and running for him. It was a rough launch, uh, but I spent about a week living in that warehouse. We got it all, all the kinks worked out. Uh, once it was live and up and running, we flew out to meet Scott Wingo, who at the time was the CEO of Channel Advisor. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty large company. They've since gone public. Yeah, I've, I've tracked um, him a bit. But at the time, they were a pretty big company already. I had met him, Scott Wingo, when I was 16 with my friend Matt in Las Vegas, um, who we were at an eBay conference. Uh, turns out you can fly to Las Vegas if you're 16. You can book the hotel room, but when you get there, they won't let you get in the hotel room. <laughs> uh, so we had to call someone we knew in the industry to come get us the hotel Check room. Yeah, but you know, we thought we were real cool at 16 in Las Vegas, and you know we were double fisting beers at the party <laughs> at the conference. This guy comes up, we didn't even know who he was. He's like, "Hey, what are you kids doing?" Here? Uh, turned out he was the CEO of Channel Advisor. Oh, that is an uh, awesome story. But he always loved promoting younger people getting in the industry and stuff. So he had kept up with us a little bit over the years. Uh, and Matt was a client of theirs as well. But Here's a serial, He's a serial entrepreneur, right? He's he done is. Several. He has a, another company now he's involved in called Spiffy, I believe, Mobile yeah. Car Wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for some reason, I went down the rabbit research hole. Research Triangle. And yeah, Carolina. for some reason, I went down his rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the reports he used to do, and I believe... Um, you know, just the content he puts out on what's happening in e-commerce, people for years have been following yeah. that. Uh, so he's very knowledgeable. Um, but yeah, we flew out to meet with him and said, look, here's what we're doing. We've got this prototype. Um, and we said, if we build this out and build out a web-based version, uh, would you be partners with us? And he said, well, hey, we got to protect it, get the web-based version live, get 15 clients, let me call those clients. If they're all happy, we'll talk. Uh, so he sort of gave us some milestones and said, hit those milestones and we'll go from there. Uh, so we did that. We sold the prototype to a second company in California and 
you know, this is when we realized, yes, we should go for this. There was a, why did we have to build this in the first place? There was a hole in the market. Uh, you know, let's think about taking it to market. What can we do? Can we build these partnerships? Um, so that took another year and a half, two years to build the web-based version. We launched that in December, 2012. Um, so now we've, this was our first client on that was actually in Louisville, which was nice. Um, and then in 2013, so the first full year on the market, we sold 67 clients. 66 of those I shook hands with in person. Yeah. So it was a lot of travel, um, some trade shows, but a lot of just, hey, we got a lead. We were just calling through people. Um, let's go visit them. They're, we have no brand name or nothing, you know, no, you they had no reason to trust us, you yeah. know. Um, so a lot of shaking hands. And the other interesting part about those stats is that 66 out of those 67 were mutual clients with at least one of those two partner companies, the integrations we had, Shipworks yeah. and Channel Advisor. Um, and I highlight that because the partner strategy has been crucial for us from the very beginning and still is today. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you about was what, what do you see as a big differentiator for your platform? You know, what is, how did you come into the market and separate yourself? Yes. Because uh, you said that, you know, at that first company you were with, you noticed that nobody was using it for their day-to-day -day task, even though they had the tool. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that's either a user experience problem with the software or it's just a training issue. Mm -hmm. what, what did you see that, that made you different? Yeah, so that was a different industry, um, but those same problems you alluded yeah. to permeate through probably all industries. Um, but so for e-commerce, we were looking, there, there was at the time three to five uh, inventory or warehouse management softwares that you know, marketed that they were specifically built for e-commerce. So not very many. Uh, the way I looked at the warehouse management software market back then and now is there were these legacy WMS softwares, High Jump, Red Prairie, Manhattan, uh, Microsoft, that were very expensive. They were not built for e-commerce. And uh, you know, I knew eventually these larger WMSs would be adding e-commerce functionality. It took years longer than I thought it would actually for them to start doing that. They're really now just starting to do that and mostly through acquisitions because they waited too long to build it. Yeah. Um, so we saw this gap that, hey, there are these big expensive systems, but they're not. So even if a small e-commerce company bought them, it doesn't have the integrations they need, those e-commerce capabilities. So there were a couple of these e-commerce inventory or warehouse softwares on the market, but they didn't, like he had pretty simple and basic, not basic, but common e-commerce needs. And they just didn't do all the pieces that needed to do. And if they did, they were extremely confusing um, or hard to use. So one of them at the time, um, I won't mention the name of it, but they had, their picking page for the warehouse worker to go take items off a shelf. It was, I counted the buttons and fields on the page. It was over a hundred buttons and field, uh, buttons and fields on this page. You know, this is like a space shuttle cockpit. Yeah. And what are we yeah. doing? We're going to take an item off a shelf. Yep. And then going to the next one. Um, so, I mean, it's not super complicated. And, you know, those warehouses can be easily in the summer over 120 Oh yeah, so it's hot. Yeah, you know, it's easy to make mistakes in that kind of environment. So it's got to be super simple to use, and that's where yeah. we said, all right, that's going to be our big differentiator, and still is one of our biggest differentiators today is ease of use, and specifically when we're talking about for the warehouse worker. Um, 
you know, we have a lot of other functionality now. We didn't used to have purchasing, forecasting, sort of some of these front office functions. Uh, and, you know, if you're doing purchasing, you're going to be looking at a lot of data, or I hope you are. Yeah. Um, but yes, we wanted to distill it in a readable way. But still, there's a, just a lot of data to show. Uh, so those pages look a little more complex, still easy to use. But those warehouse pages, I could stick you in a warehouse, give you that page, and I don't even have to say a word to you to train you. Yeah. It'll be so obvious what you need to do. Yeah. That's um, and that's be. how it should be, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, so just this like overcomplication of things uh, has always bothered me, and, yeah. and that was the biggest one probably. And then adding in the e-commerce capabilities and saying like, "Hey, look, we are this web-based software. You can have all the traditional inventory and warehouse management features, but with the e-commerce capabilities." Got it. And you know, whenever somebody's going about building a company and they've got a prototype, and you give it to your first test users. How did you go about getting their feedback and incorporating that into the, into the product? I think it's one of the most important things. Yeah, to, to so it, out. it was actually really nice that we did build a prototype in Access and SQL, um, mostly because it's real quick to add things and change stuff and all that kind of thing. So we called um, that first client, especially our beta testing playground. It was here in Louisville. You know, He had constant requests and feature upgrades and all these things he wanted it to do. And we were able to do them pretty quick, test it, you know, to build a feature now in our software, we have a lot more users, we have a lot more testing we do, all this stuff. Um, so it just takes a lot longer compared to that, right? Where we could just pump it out, oh, we're there on site, if it breaks, it's okay, you know, we'll fix it. Uh, so a very different environment, but yeah, a beta testing playground. Um, back in the day, we had some feature we built and the developer, you know, it was just one of those little annoying things where they didn't think about it. and every time after you input the data and hit done, you'd have to take your mouse and put your cursor back up in the top field to do the next one. Hmm. And it was an action that people were going to be doing hundreds of times a day. That's a lot of time. You can already see how annoying this is yeah. going to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't catch that, right? So, hey, instead of just telling them, hey, you got to do this in the future, we could be like, hey, walk down the street, go in this warehouse, they're going to teach you to pick, you're going to pick for four hours. Come back and tell me what's wrong with this page. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they knew yeah. when they got back, and they didn't do it again because now they felt that pain, right? And I think a lot of times, like we spend a lot of time with our development teams, making sure they really understand the customers, understand what this feature is supposed to do, the benefits of it. Um, which, you know, from my perspective, can sometimes be a little frustrating. Like, how many meetings do we have to have before we start coding? You know, if you're a developer and you're not on the computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not producing, right? But uh, but they really have to understand that or those little things end up showing and they show in a big way for the user. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about as far as your team goes. Mm -hmm. Talk about how you built your team over time and at what stages of the company you realized, okay, we need to hire. Yeah. So I'm a big Jim Collins fan, so I really believe in that whole, you know, get the right butts in the right seats. Uh, and the team is the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, so over the years, it's probably besides product, which is my passion. If, I always say if I had to pick a job in the company, it'd be in the product side because I enjoy that. Uh, but the team is the most important thing. So I spend a lot of time on that, make sure we have a good culture. Um, you know, we were bootstrapped until a little over a year ago. Um, so what that meant, or I actually prefer to say customer funded, but the... We were hiring for years. We hired people after we needed them, not out of choice. Yeah, out of you know we had to. Um, 
and, and so it was real obvious when you needed to hire someone when everyone's stressed can't get it all done um, <laughs> now now we tried to do um, I'd say a few years ago even we started saying hey let's you know, get them before we need them Just so they planning. can be trained by the time we need them. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that training with the developers. That's in every department. Yeah. You know, uh, sales, mm-hmm. of course, has to be able to understand and talk to the customer. Marketing has to understand them to message to them properly. Of course, the success team needs to be able to talk to them in great detail. Uh, but it, like I said, even the developers need to understand it. Uh, so we actually have a whole education role now. And it's yeah. half the job is internal education. The other half, they work on yeah. some documentation, client-facing, etc. Um, but we have tests, like it's a six-week class with tests and all <laughs> this awesome. stuff now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to uh, hire fast and fire fast if you need to. Exactly. Right? And so right? hire fast, fire fast. Um, I've known for a long time, don't hire friends, don't hire family. Yeah. Um, but, but there's definitely a culture fit piece. We, over the years, did get better at hire fast, fire fast. Um, we've gone through phases too, right? Uh, we went through one phase where we had grown we added 25 when we were 25 people in one year we grew to 50 people um and there's you know it created a lot of friction you had a lot of new people in. they're all training at once um it would have been a lot easier maybe to slowly add them in um but you know there were some mistakes made some of the old people weren't happy some of the new people weren't great hires and so there was this year where we had higher than normal turnover and I ended up having to do, we have all hand meetings every two weeks uh, with the company. And I ended up having to explain this concept of like, hey, it's actually better for all of you if we get rid of this underperformer. Like, it was freaking people out in a way that I didn't quite understand. Like, (laughs) you know, it's somewhat normal for people to get exited or leave a job every now and then, right? Um, But it would freak people out, I guess, because we were a smaller company, maybe. but I, had, I did this talk, and I actually had employees come up after and say, hey, uh, I appreciate that. That makes me understand it a lot better. Now I'm not afraid that this person left. I'm glad they left. Yeah, yeah. Because they weren't pulling their weight. Well, it so when everybody. You, yeah, and you know it was a good exit if their teammates come to you after and say, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this was pulling us all down. But that is because they understood, like, hey, we're all trying to move forward here. We're trying to move quick, right? Mm-hmm it's hurting everyone here as the company grows faster there's more bonuses all these things so someone slacking you know yeah. it's hurting you more than you might realize yeah um so that was a big thing Where are you guys and there's now? definitely a big we have 75 employees okay. today all right um and as far as my role i noticed big changes at certain intervals so 25 was a big one uh i think about 25 people is when i brought in the COO, maybe it was around 30, but at 25, I started looking. I didn't have enough managers in place. I had way too many direct reports, uh, and I was dealing with all these people issues, mm-hmm. which maybe this is you know something I need to get better at, but that's not what I enjoy the most. Like I enjoy working with people. The yeah. team is the most important thing, but you know, dealing with, and maybe it was just we didn't have the right butts in the right seat too, but just the drama issues. I struggled with that because I'm like, hey, we got to move. We got all this stuff to do. And you're talking to me about this drama that I don't want to talk about. (laughs) So I brought in, uh, this is sort of funny, actually. Our COO now for almost four years has been, um, he was my boss at that internship at the copper plant. He was one of the few people in that company that were pushing for major, massive change and improvement and 
you know, there was stuff going on in politics in the company and not everyone was on board. But like I could see that and I really respected him for that. Uh, but so I brought this guy in. He'd been, you know, in leadership and manufacturing for 30 years. Uh, so it was also real interesting to see him dealing with a completely different type of team member. Um, so he struggled a little bit at the beginning and yeah. like how much, stuff, you know, we provide food in the office for people Learning and snacks curve, and yeah. stuff. He's like, what's going on here? Uh, <laughs> Startup culture. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, we have a lot of young, you know, computer people and it was just different from that factory worker mm -hmm. he'd been used to working with. Uh, so it was real interesting to watch that change over the years. Uh, but he's been a blessing. I was at a, you know, I was at a frustrating point with all that stuff you, uh, and he was able somebody. to... He was, you know, people talk about the visionary and integrator roles. So he was able to be that integrator and give me more time to step back and actually focus on strategy and mm -hmm. segmentation. Are we just segmenting by industry, revenue range, business model, you know, these higher level things that we have to figure out and get right. What is, you know, yep. what is our strategy? Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, fundraising? So this is one of the yeah. things, you know, big thing this season that we're doing is we're asking about major learnings. And mm -hmm. before we started recording, you said this is one of the biggest things you wanted our audience to take away from your experience mm -hmm. was what you've learned over the years. Read the book Venture Deals. Venture Deals. That is step one. That book was extremely helpful when we were going through all that. Um, is that Brad? Brad, Brad Feld. Feld. Yep. Uh, it, it really lets you understand their inner workings, like at a VC and how they make money. and. Mm -hmm. You know, it's good to understand all that. <laughs> um, it's not as straightforward as you would think. But so we, and I think this is a little bit a symptom of where we grew up, actually. Um, we were very hesitant to take funding. Um, so, you know, a few years in, it came up that we could do that. Maybe we should. Um, you know, day one, we didn't even think about that. We just bootstrapped it. And then there, we probably should have done it a little earlier than we did. There were benefits to waiting too that I'll get into. Um, but we had a lot of fear. You know, I didn't realize that was what was going on at the time, but looking back, we waffled back and forth on should we take funding for two, almost three years. Huh. Um, now during that whole time, I was building a Rolodex. So this was great because when we did decide to pull the trigger, I'd already been working on that for years um, and we were able to sort of pick who we thought was the best fits for us. Um, so we had this big Rolodex already, which was yeah. nice. Um, but yeah, we, we waffled back and forth and looking back, we, we bought, we went and got a cabin in the woods one or two different summers. Like, we're going to go in the woods and figure out, should we, <laughs> should we do this? And, you know, pros and cons and all this stuff. Um, what was your fear? What was the biggest fear you had? You the said it's a I mean, you factor hear, of where you grew up. What is, you hear the mean? stories, and it, it's very much this is what I would caution people to be aware of. A lot of them, a lot of these VCs will, uh, you know, out of 10 investments, expect all to fail except one. But that means they're pushing all 10 to break the bank, to, to go the extreme, either, either extreme success or extreme failure. Yep. There's no in between. Yeah. And that was not something we wanted to do. You know, I, I like. That's I'm a growth guy. I'm never happy with, with our growth. I always yeah. want more growth. Um, but I also believe in healthy growth. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can't say the team is the most important thing to me and have that strategy, right? Yeah. It just doesn't it match. So much sense. Um, so both of the groups that we picked, we ended up, 
once we decide, oh, let me take a step back. So we joined a group called Endeavor Global. They have over 40 offices uh, around the world. I think there's four or five offices in the U.S. now. Um, I believe Louisville was the second or third, but Louisville is now, uh, the office here is one of their like poster offices um, just because of the growth they've had here. Uh, and I think it was a game changer for the community here as well. But we joined that group and were able to form an advisory board. So we knew we wanted a board. When we were debating money, we knew we wanted a board. Do we want to take a bunch of money though? Mm-hmm. Um, so we formed this advisory board. Very quickly it showed us the value of a board. They were not quite um, as in-depth as our board now now is, right? Uh, they didn't put any money in. Uh, so they weren't going as deep in the financials and that kind of thing. But that was our first thing. We went in with this advisory board. It was Matt Thornton from Thornton's Gas Stations, uh, Nate Morris from Rubicon Global, yep. um, and a guy named Nappy uh, who was at Blackboard, then Parchment, and now he's here in town at uh, Capture, higher hmm. ed. Uh, and so he was a sales marketing guy, um, and you know, Nate Morris knows everything about fundraising, and uh, Matt Thornton, of course, knows about growth and how to deal with that and the team, the culture, the people. So we got a lot of benefit from them, but that was our question. Hey, what should we do about this funding issue? Um, and so working with them, uh, they helped us even figure out once we did make that decision, how much should we be taking? Uh, and it sort of maybe just fell all together because our third partner uh, was going through some personal things and decided to, um, he had a small percentage of the company, he decided to sell it out. And he said, is it possible to sell it now? I said, oh, we've actually been talking to a guy, we've been debating this, let's go ahead and do it. And we decided, well, let's go ahead and just do the raise with that. And then we upped the amount we were taking too. And so we found a second partner um, through the Endeavor Network, uh, Ballast Point Ventures out of Tampa. Uh, so we have one local guy here, John Wilmoth Poplar Ventures in um, Ballast Point. And both you know, have a great track record of longer-term investments as long as the company's doing well. They're doing follow-on rounds uh, and sticking with that company and helping through the growth. And yeah. that was the kind of investors we were looking for, right? Yeah. Um, so I feel very lucky that we found some people that match sort of our idea, ideals. Uh, yeah, what, what you said that. earlier related to you know the the fear that you had where these companies these these VCs they fund ten companies and one of them they expect one of them to do well that I haven't heard that perspective but that's an awesome perspective and it really resonates because um, you know with Fuji we had raised a good amount of money and immediately grew the team mm-hmm. you know it was almost an inorganic growth yeah. put a lot of stress on the company um, and I think we experienced a lot of things you said you experienced earlier where you hired a lot of people. And then that didn't ultimately work out. So we hired, we went from 15 people to 65 people in like a year and a half. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And ultimately we got a lot of money put on the fire. Didn't turn out well. Uh, we laid off half the company. Mm-hmm. And a lot, a lot of that was due to the stress that was put on us with this you know, Silicon Valley venture ideology, which you just kind of said, but without saying it. Um, and that puts a lot of pressure on a company. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're a small parts of the company you know you think of a company and it has like maybe four legs and you put all this weight on top of it and some of those legs might be weak yeah. it's going to really hurt a company i think the fact that you took longer and really thought that out is, is smart right one of our biggest fears uh, with taking some investment was management influenced waste mm-hmm. and so very much not that we have it all figured out now but you know we were trying to figure out marketing so we're doing all these tests and how do we you know attack our 
uh, Target, and we were doing those tests, luckily, at the time with smaller amounts of money. If we had had all that money then, a lot of it would have been wasted. Now, by the time we took the money, we felt at least that we knew a lot of this stuff. Um, we had never done paid ads. Hmm. So all until yeah. a year and a half ago, we had never done paid ads. Referrals. Uh, is... Very small amount. Yeah. Uh, so we ramped that up last year, and we did have some management. I don't know, management influence. But we had some waste there. Now, we learned, and we've tweaked it, and now we figured it out, got the metrics back where they are, and now we're going to try to ramp it back up. Yeah. Um, but even waiting so long because we didn't want to do that, you know, invariably you're going to lose getting that. data to make more informed decisions mm-hmm. so you know where to put the capital. And the systems and the software. Yes. yes. Getting the processes in place. Yeah. Because if you, if you raise a lot of capital and you don't have these good processes in place, it's just going to make things worse. Yes. Right. And one thing I learned in statistics is bad data is worse than no data. Um, so it is very easy to be looking at big data sets and make incorrect assumptions, which can lead you down very wrong paths. Yeah, um, that's great. That's yeah. great advice. Uh, let's dig into Louisville now. Yeah. You know, on these on these podcasts, we always like to bring it home and talk about, you know, the, the ecosystems, you know, Lexington, Louisville, Cincinnati, what needs to improve, what's going well. Talk about what you think Louisville is doing really well right now. One thing I love that I've just been seeing somewhat recently in town is more collaboration with our surrounding cities. So Lexington, Cincinnati, Nashville, mm-hmm. um, you know, all this growth going on there, let's, let's work together. We don't have the tech scene here in Louisville, Kentucky that they have at West, right? But hey, between us all, we do have a bigger tech scene. Indy. It's a great example, you know, the exact Target story and yeah, how much Salesforce. tech growth we've seen in that city got because a whole tower of that down. one story, yeah, right? Yeah. And you can see the same thing here. Like, if you look at the Humana story, uh, you know, how many spin-off companies have they had out of there? A ton. Um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but a lot of people have come out of Humana, started other... And that you see, when you look at Louisville, what do you think of? Bourbon and... Basketball, uh, horses... Healthcare. Healthcare. Yeah. We have a lot of healthcare companies, aging care, which is great. Um, but how, why did that grow so much? Well, you know, it's a lot of spinoff companies out of there. And, and that's amazing for a city. Um, we just got to foster more of those, right? Uh, and I think collaboration between the cities is just going to be great for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, we can compete with other parts of the country, in a sense. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we're competing, right? We're competing for venture dollars. All you have a lot of venture moving inwards. Yeah. yeah, well, there's probably some reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, hey, your metrics look better. <laughs> yeah. uh, you yeah. all actually are profitable. You're cost what? of living, yeah. What's cost going on here? Yeah, we were profitable our whole existence until two or three years ago. And, you know, now at that point, scaling. we were intentionally saying, let's invest and, yeah. and do yeah. that. But uh, we ran it as a profitable business for years. That's amazing. That's awesome. Cons. Talk about what Louisville needs to do better. So... Telling the stories is a big one, um, and I think we're working on that for sure. You know, a lot of the local government has realized that, um, but it, it's still like that's what I was saying. It's diff- if hey, when we talk about funding, it probably would have been different if I'd grown up in Silicon Valley. We probably would have taken funding day one, probably yeah. pre day one, right? yeah. pre revenue. We would have before taken before you had a product. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so, and here we are. I've, you know, we didn't hear the local stories of these kind. Of, we have some success stories, yeah. uh, but until I was in the community, I didn't know them. You know, and I went to U of L. They don't tell them. Uh, I did an executive education 
um, at Harvard a couple summers ago through Endeavor, which mm-hmm. was an awesome experience. Uh, but you know, I, I walked in and they were talking about Harvard just as a college and saying, you know, we tell students that we're going to help them create jobs, not find jobs. And they celebrate the dropouts. Yeah. They celebrate the people yeah. that drop out. Yeah. Most schools around here, it's what I know. Uh, you know, they're more about the stats. Yes. yes they yes. they want to hide the dropouts, no matter what the story is, yeah. because they want to be able to say to incoming students and parents, maybe mostly, you know, we have graduation a percent graduation is, rate, yeah. right? But I don't know. To me, it's like, hey, tell those stories. You educated someone, got them in the workforce, they found a problem, you gave them a network, it, and yeah, yeah, like this is a great story for the college. Um, Absolutely. And I just noticed a stark difference in how they talked about it versus how we talk about it, you know, around here. Uh, yeah. And, and with the funding thing, you know, yeah, the, the stories, yeah, they're in the business first, which is great. And that's the only place they are, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, no, that's... Not every, you know, I didn't read that as a kid, so yeah. I never saw that. Yeah. And that's why we're here. We're telling stories. That's yeah. why we're... Yeah. And that's I noticed great. the same thing. It's a thing. service. Notice the same thing, right? We're providing a service for mm-hmm. the ecosystem because it's Fuji... You know, the Fuji story, people don't know the Fuji story. Yeah. And that's one of the craziest stories in Kentucky, probably startup history. Yeah. Like the amount of funding, the amount of people we hired, the amount of noise we created in the marketing space uh, was amazing. We're still, you know, they're still doing well. Yeah, that's you know, great. it's just a crazy story. And I'd go around town and like, and there's a lot of those. Really. There's, there's, there's yeah. several, you know, there's a lot of those and mm-hmm. people just don't know about them. So yeah. like those stories can be told. Mm-hmm. And then with the cultural thing you mentioned, you know, with colleges and just the, the, region in general, how they view entrepreneurship, or maybe they don't even look at entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my biggest thing in the UK that really bothered me was once I realized you know, entrepreneurship and startups were you know, something I really was interested in, there was no support for that, at least at that time. Yeah. They're doing a much better job. Yeah. But uh, that's definitely one of the cons that we hear, we hear often is the culture yeah. around here is still early in the startup uh, you know, ideology. Yeah. When we started, the networking in town at least for me, at that stage, was not very useful. Um, you know, I love my banker, but it was a lot of bankers and you know people trying to sell me stuff, and I didn't have any money. You know, I'm looking for people to help me. Yeah. Um, and so, and it was hard to find other. It was hard to find mentors. Um, now, over the years, what I learned is, it's great around here. You can ask almost anyone, big companies, small companies, and they'll help you. Um, you know, if you can find them, yeah. right? Yeah. Or if you even know who they are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, no, it's been amazing. Um, like with that Endeavor group, you know, who was interviewing us in the local selection panel? Uh, it was, you know, David Jones Sr. was very involved in it. Um, you know, Kent Taylor, Texas Roadhouse, uh, all these big players in town, and they've all been so helpful. Um, and, and people outside of the Endeavor Network, too. I keep talking about Endeavor because I love it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not just Endeavor. Just it, the city as a whole. I can email almost anyone. Never met them before. CEOs, hey, could you meet with me? I've got this problem. I'm trying to work on pricing. And, and they'll do it. You that's know? the same feeling we've gotten. And we, it's awesome. we haven't had a person turn us down to be on the podcast yet. That's great. I think it's, you know, two things. It's what you're mentioning. It's kind of the hospitality mm-hmm. and the willingness to help people. But I think if people are also realizing that we're solving a problem. You know, yes. we're providing them a service. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so who, who deserves a shout-out in town? You've said Endeavor, so let's just say... <laughs> Jackson given, Andrews, Endeavor. You've yeah. given them a, a plenty of shout-outs. Who are some of the people in town that you, uh, you want to mention? You know, everyone involved with that. You, I, I've been real impressed the last few years with what the um, some of the local 
government organizations have been doing. GLI is a great one. Um, you know, Insider Louisville and Business First telling some of those stories. That's great. Uh, things like Story yeah, here in Louisville. An awesome know, space. These are great. These yeah. co-working spaces. Um, a lot of companies building up like this new Lou area. We're not down here, but I do love the area, yeah. and I love to see it grow. You know, El Toro's building this huge new building down here. Awesome Divin stuff like Edge. that going on. Edge, Edge Sports, I think is Edge the, Analytics. Ed, yeah, Edge yeah. Analytics, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sean's uh, involved in the Endeavor Network too, and has mentored me, and hmm. you know, it's just another. And he has one a great history too, and story, and yeah. um, you know. I think a lot of people reach out to him for coffees mm -hmm. and things, but uh, that I've just seen that community and network evolve a lot, and it's been a lot of people. Um, you know, Galen Powers. I saw him in the basement uh, walking up here, and he's. I go to these events, and I always see him, and he's promoting them and telling these stories and connecting people. Um, so th there's just a lot of people like that that are good connectors in town, uh, and it'll really help you when you don't know yet. And you're not in the right networks yet they'll be able to point you in the right direction oh you're struggling with this go talk to these three people yeah. um, and I think that's great because that's what we were missing in the beginning we tried to do these networking things it wasn't the right events you know we didn't know who to go talk to once we started getting plugged in it became real easy um, but it's just that initial and I think there's a lot more support already than there was 10 or 15 years ago mm -hmm.